morning we have two readings. The first is from the Psalms, that's Psalm 72. We'll start on the first verse, and that's on page 578 of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like the rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may he flourish, and may the righteous flourish, and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for the, for the precious is their blood in his sight. That ends our first reading. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, and it's from chapter 2, commencing at the 8th verse, and it's page 1027, the Bible's in front of you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Here ends our readings. All right, thank you, Penny and Bruce. Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave, or David, as my mother would prefer. It's great to be here this morning. Hope you're well. I'm going to pray and ask that God would be present in our midst this morning and He would be preparing our hearts and minds for what He wants to say through me. So, why don't you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would prepare us for what we're about to hear. Lord, I guess as I said before, we we don't really want to pray that you'd be with us because we know that you are. But Lord, would you grant us a special sense of your presence with us? You are always with us, but help us to know that with our whole being. Help that to affect how we live, the decisions we make. And Lord, um, yeah, this morning I just pray that you would Soften our hearts for what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. 
just turn that on. Let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever rejected something you later regretted? You know, maybe turned something down you wished you hadn't. I remember a long time ago now, probably about 15 years ago or 20 years ago even, I remember turning down tickets to a U2 concert. If you don't know who they are, they're one of the biggest bands in the world. Didn't know who they were at the time. One year later, became their biggest fan. So I live to regret that decision. Or how about this? Can you remember something or someone you should have listened to, but looking back, you were kind of foolish to ignore? Here's an example. When I was quite young, uh, we went away to a campsite as a family with other families from church, and it was a great time. You know, we'd, us kids would be riding our bikes, playing in the bush, generally just getting up to lots of mischief. Well, this one particular year, we turned up to this campsite, and we're all huddled in the, the camp hall, and the camp director is kind of laying down the law. He's like, you know, this is, these are the rules of what's to, to happen here for the week that you're at the camp. Now, what was I doing? Of course, I wasn't listening. I was in the corner, totally mucking around my friends camp director was giving us all these rules but I wasn't listening I vaguely remember hearing something about the water on the campsite but thought nah I don't need to hear it anyway he got finished and us kids ran off and um, thought nothing of the information that was given to us now it was summertime and it hit mid-morning and it was really really hot now we're playing on this oval a field at the campsite and I just see this tap right and I'm thirsty I see a tap so I go over there and take just, you know, lots and lots of water, gulping down this water, and that's great. Okay, I think nothing of it, continue to play with my friends. One hour later, we head to the lunchroom, it's lunchtime, and I start feeling pretty queasy. You know where this is going. Um, getting closer to the dining hall, I'm really not feeling very well. Now, we're about to say grace, there's lots of us packed into this, this sort of camp hall, and we sit down, we're about to say grace. I turn to my mum and I say, Mum, I'm really not feeling very didn't get through the sentence. Just, I don't want to be too specific, but just everywhere. Everyone was watching. It was the stuff of legend. Uh, I, I still haven't lived it down. Now, what had happened? Well, this is true. I actually missed the sign, do not drink the water. I just missed it. And I just wasn't listening to the camp director, right? I just thought, I don't need to hear this. Now, to this day, I haven't lived it down. My mum still reminds me of this pretty frequently. And this is true, right? About six months ago, I was, during the week, I was up the back sort of fiddling with the sound up there. And it was open door, so members of the public can kind of come in and look at the pretty church. And uh, this guy comes in, we recognise each other, we start chatting. It ends up being one of the parents of my friends from this camp. Haven't seen him in 25 years. Guess what he brings up? <laughs> Oh, David, do you remember that time when you didn't listen and you spewed? Yeah, thank you very much, mate. I'm 35 years old and yes, okay, still not living it down. So to this day, I regret not taking the advice of the sign and of the camp director. Now, what's that got to do with Advent? Great question. Well, we're currently in our Advent series called What the King Brings. Last week, Scotty showed us the king brings a kingdom of peace. This week, it's the king brings salvation. And we're going to see... That even though we might reject or ignore or kind of be indifferent to the king's offer of salvation, we're going to see that every single one of us, we need it, whether we might think so or not. So today we're going to explore this topic, the king brings salvation, through the lens of these three questions. What does it look like? What does salvation look like? Why do we need it? And what does it mean to accept it or how do we accept it? So what does it look like? Why do we need it? How do we accept it? 
Let's get going. Let's dive into our Old Testament reading for today to answer our first question. What does this salvation look like? Now, we're looking at Psalm 72 that was read so well for us. A little background on the Psalms. The 150 Psalms are the people of Israel's songbook. Songs they used in their community life for different occasions. Different songs, different occasions. Now this one, commentators like to call Psalm 72, a royal psalm. It would have been used to um, celebrate the coronation of a king or the celebration of his reign. Now they're asking that God would grant these things we're about to see to the king so that he'd bless the nation. But as we're going to see, what they seem to be asking for seems like a lot for a human king to fulfill. We'll get there. All right. First thing we, we see from this psalm is a king who saves is a king who brings justice. Let's have a look at the first couple of verses of Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness. So the people are asking that the king rule like God with perfect justice and righteousness. What a leader that would be, hey? I mean, how many nations suffer today from bad government? How many citizens remain oppressed due to mismanagement, corruption, or the greed from leaders? Here's a pretty horrible st- statistic. Did you know that today around 68% of the world's nations have a serious corruption problem? You see, Israel yearned for a king who could be relied upon to rule faithfully and justly. And what would that look like? What would that bring? The next verse tells us, verse 7, it would bring prosperity. When justice comes, the people prosper. Now, it's no surprise that of those 68% of countries who have a serious corruption problem, many of them are among the world's poorest. You see, when justice comes, the people prosper. Second thing we see is the kingdom the king brings has no limits. Check out verse 5. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. All generations. That's a long time. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II is our longest reigning monarch who is still alive. My wife and I have just started watching The Crown on Netflix. It's really good, by the way. Really enjoying it. Does anyone know how long the Queen has been reigning for? Anyone know? Now, you were at 8 o'clock. You don't count, Bruce. 64 years. Isn't that a long time? 64 years. Now, actually, did you know um, she is only the 45th longest reigning monarch of all time? Who's the longest? I had to Google this. So it was King Sabuza II, who was the king of Swaziland on the continent of Africa, and he reigned for 82 years. Pretty impressive. But I tell you what, that doesn't come close to how long this king might rule for. As long as the sun, it's got five billion years to go, scientists reckon. Who can they be talking about? All right, let's have a look at verse 8. May he rule from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, may the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. So this king is going to rule for a very, very long time and his territory will have no boundaries. The British Empire once ruled almost a quarter of the entire world, about 24%. That's a lot. But what kind of king or kingdom has no end and no geographical limits? 
Last thing we see the king bringing is the king brings a heart for the needy. Verse 12 to 14. Let's read these really beautiful verses together. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. What a beautiful picture of a king. In an earlier verse, um, it says the king will crush those who oppress the needy. Wow. A powerful ruler who, instead of using his power to gain more wealth and status, uses it for the good of those who have no voice. The king who saves is the king who cares. Uh, My wife and I moved to the USA in 2007, and uh, we were actually there for the inauguration of President Obama. And there was a great deal of um, hope and anticipation in the air, really, no matter what side of politics you were on great deal of hope in the air, that he would be a president who would look out for the people who were overlooked. The poor, those with disabilities, those who couldn't afford health care. You see, this part of the Obama campaign and presidency is echoing our longing for a ruler that rules, not for themselves, but for others, the people. And wouldn't this ruler just be a breath of fresh air? Because that'd be different. Verse 6 says, The king will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. Isn't that a really lovely picture? That's what it'd be like to greet this king. What a fascinating line at the end of verse 14. Check it out. For precious is their blood, that is the needy's blood, in his sight. Can you imagine an all-powerful ruler caring for peasant blood? I mean, how many kingdoms and empires are built on the backs of spilt peasant blood? And yet here's a king who will end up spilling his blood for the peasants. But really, it, it all sounds like a lot, doesn't it? I mean, can any human king fulfill all this? Well, you see, the people of Israel, they did have a monarchy, right? They had good kings and bad kings. But even their greatest king, King David, nowhere near lived up to what this psalm is proclaiming. But still, God's people longed for a ruler like this. And he became known as, many of us would know this, the Messiah. We long for this ruler. God, they believed, would provide this king, this ruler, this Messiah, Israel were waiting for him. Now, fast forward to our New Testament reading we've had. And this is one we hear at Christmas time every year, don't we? What's happening? Well, shepherds are taking care of their flocks by night. Where are they? They're outside the city walls. Now, shepherds back then kind of had a pretty lowly stature. They live with the animals. They're pretty smelly. Many viewed them as outcasts. Yet, These are among the first people the angel announces the birth of Jesus to. The angel appears. Of course, they're terrified, as we would be coming face to face with an angel. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. That will bring great joy for all the people. I think, I don't know what you think, but I think um, people often get confused about what Christianity is all about. 
It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's not about boring church services. It's not about following outdated traditions. It's a breaking news story. News that changes the world. And it's good news. Now, the angel continues by filling out what this good news is. He says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, why was this good news for the people living in Jesus' time in the first century? Well, the king that Israel longed for is here. The king who brings justice is here. The king whose rule will be longer than the sun and whose king will, the kingdom will have no geographical limit is here. This king who brings vindication to the oppressed, the afflicted is here. And his name is Jesus. This king, this Messiah that God's people are waiting for is finally here. On that night in that smelly manger was born salvation. The promise of saving justice in a baby boy named Jesus. Now, that's all very well for the people back in the first century, right? Living a couple of thousand years ago. That's nice. You know, I mean, it's nice that Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament hope of a king, the Messiah. But so what? I mean, what's that got to do with you and me living today? That kind of brings us to our second point, right? Why do we need it? The king brings salvation, but so what? Why do I need it? Well, remember we talked about the king bringing justice, right? And I think that's something we probably all want, whether we're church-going folk or not. There's something instilled in us. When we see injustice, it doesn't sit well with us. It's not right. You know, people outside courtrooms who are delivered verdicts, they deem unfair. The media catches it. We see it on TV. They say, we want justice. They cry, we want justice. And that rings true to us, doesn't it? You know, when we see uh, children abused or women locked into sexual slavery, or families trapped in economic servitude, we cry, that's wrong. That's not right. We want justice. We want the perpetrators of evil to pay. And the good news is, there is justice. Why? Because God is a righteous judge. Side note, if there is no God, if the new atheists are right, then there is no justice. Anyone who gets away with anything in this life gets away with it. Not a happy thought. But that is not the truth because there is a God and he is a righteous judge. When it comes to evil and wrongdoing, he's not going to say, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's fine, let, we'll, let it go. No, if any judge did that at an earthly courtroom, we'd be outraged, rightly. But no, God will bring his justice. But here's a question for us this morning. Is that a good thing? I mean, for you and me, is that a good thing for us? I mean, we want God to bring his justice against the perpetrators of evil. But you see, when God brings his justice, it's going to come to everybody. He won't discriminate. And how would we fare if we were judged by his pretty high standards or even by our own standards? How would we fare? How would we go? Uh, When I was a... um, a young kid in church, 
Um, they used to do like family spots or kids spots like we do at this service. And they're really fun. It's supposed to be a, a, a fun thing the minister does or someone does to um, communicate a simple truth to kids and adults while having a laugh hopefully at the same time. Now this particular time, I was pretty young at this point, maybe seven or I can't remember exactly, the minister wheeled on a TV, which was pretty big maybe sort of 28 years ago, wheeled on this TV with some wires coming out of attached to a hat and a chair. Right, so that was what was on stage. Now he got up and he asked for some volunteers. And my hand flew up. I wanted a volunteer. He didn't pick me. He picked my friend Jordan. He invited him to sort of come up on the stage and sit down on the chair. And he put this hat on him, which had wires attached to it going to a TV. And he said, okay, folks, this is a special machine that can read minds. Today, let's see what's in this young man's mind. He flicks on the TV. And there on the TV appears the, the, this image of... Um, people robbing a bank, right? These few guys robbing a bank, everyone has a chuckle. And then it flicks over to some youths uh, graffitiing a bus shelter. Everyone has a laugh, it's pretty funny, except me. I'm totally freaking out. Uh, I I was just so thankful that God didn't choose me to go up there. (laughs) I was still young enough to think this machine is the real deal and my friend was actually thinking about robbing a bank and, you know, destroying a bus shelter. Thing is, as well, I was sitting next to this pretty girl from Sunday school, and I'm just so glad I wasn't up there, and you, they didn't see what was in my mind. Let me just tell you, pretty freaked out. Now, of course, my old minister's machine was a hoax. Everyone in the congregation understood that except me. But the point he was trying to make was a pretty good one, right? He was trying to make the point that even though we can hide our wrongdoing, like our, our sinful thoughts and D, you know, sinful thoughts from each other, and let's face it, as middle-class people, we're pretty good at that. We can hide it from each other, we can't hide it from God. And he was right. He was right. Now imagine, bear with me for a second, imagine if it was true. Or maybe something like this. Imagine you walk into a room full of TVs, okay, different TV screens, and playing on it were all the things you'd ever thought, said, or did. Every text you'd sent, every website you'd looked up, every email you'd hit send on, every thought, word, deed that you'd done was playing in this room. And then the members of your family and and your friends were invited to come through this room and witness what's going on. They walk around and see. Just picture that for a second. How would you feel? Now, I reckon some of the things you'd be quite proud of. Oh, look at me there, and yeah, yeah. And some of it would be just intensely boring, right? If it was my life, a lot of it would be pretty boring, sleeping and eating and so forth. But let's be honest, some of it would just be totally embarrassed, wouldn't we? Be very ashamed. Everything you've ever thought, said, or done. Now, if we experience, just think about it, if we experience that, maybe instead of crying, we want justice. Maybe we'd be crying, save me from your justice. Now, if that were me, if all my lowlights were played on the screen behind me right now, I would be utterly ashamed. I'd run out that door, you'd never see me again. You see, Jesus the King brings salvation, but don't you reckon so many of us think, I'm good, I don't need it, I'm a good person. And well, you might be. But the justice we cry out for others to receive will come to us as well. And how will we measure up? Now this is where the breaking news story of the Christian faith comes in. This is where the good news is so good news. 
Because Jesus has come to save us from the judgment that you and I deserve. He's come to save us from ourselves. You see, like the king Israel longed for was going to come and deal with their greatest enemies, Jesus, the ultimate king, the Messiah, has come to deal with our greatest enemies of sin and death, our sin problem. You see, on the cross is where we see God's justice and mercy so beautifully collide. God's righteous justice upheld. He's not going to sweep anything under the carpet. His righteous justice upheld with his boundless mercy. Jesus dies on the cross so we can live. Now, still some of us think, it's not for me. It's all good. It's not for me. I don't need saving. Religion's a crutch. I think that's what a lot of Aussies think. Hey, I don't need it. And maybe in some ways, they're right. Now, the king brings salvation to the needy. Remember? Who is that? The needy. Well, the needy can mean, like we've been saying, oppressed people, people who are in need materially, the poor. But in the New Testament, this idea of the needy often refers to not people who are materially in need, but spiritually in need, the poor in spirit. And this leads us to our final point. Well, how do we accept it then, this salvation the king brings? What do we do? How do we accept it? Put simply, we've got to acknowledge that we are in need. Part of my role here at St. Matt's is um, hanging out and spending time with people who are not yet Christians, who are seeking who are just trying to discover what the Christian faith is all about. And it really is a highlight for, for us when we get to do that. And people who are discovering more about the Christian faith are often surprised to discover just how different Christianity is from other religions and indeed religion altogether. You know they're getting close when they say something like this. So you're saying it's all been done for me by Jesus on the cross. He's dealt with my sin, my sin problem once and for all. Now I can have a relationship with the one who made me and I don't need to do anything? And I say, yeah, that's right. Almost. There is actually one thing you need. Need. One thing you need. Need. An empty hand. A willingness to grasp the gift. See, Psalm 72 verse 12 says, For he will deliver the needy who cry out. You see, we can't actually experience the salvation that King Jesus brings without first admitting we need it. I think this is probably our greatest struggle right here in Sydney, in Manly. Middle class, upper class people, right? Acknowledging our need for anything, it's tough. Maybe except the need for a holiday. But apart from that, we're quite proud people. I count myself one of them. It takes humility, doesn't it? And an admission to... Admit we don't have it all together to become a Christian. The only thing we really need is need. Might, sound not, might not sound like much, but to some it's everything, a hurdle they can't get over. So, the king brings salvation and that looks pretty good. An everlasting kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, not of this world, ruled with justice and mercy. A kingdom that offers the gift of life to those who humbly admit they need it. Now, in this season of Advent, as we heard last week, it means also that we are waiting 
doesn't it? For those of us who have accepted Jesus for our salvation, it means that we long for the day, we wait, we long for the day when the salvation the king brings is made complete. Yes, we've been saved from our greatest enemies of sin and death, but let's face it, we still experience the reality of both today, every day. Sin, right? Still present in our lives. We must battle against it. We fight the temptation of giving in, of going with the flow, of letting things slide. We gather together as a community to wait, don't we? But not to wait and do nothing and just sit in the red comfy chairs, no. To be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power as we wait. To put to death the fiery arrows of the evil one as we wait. To walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage each other on our journey as we wait. We fight injustice where we see it as we wait. Even though the power of death has been taken away and death is no longer a step into the unknown, we still experience the heartbreak of it, don't we? It's just a horrible result of the curse that every one of us has to experience. But we have hope. The salvation the king brings has broken the back of death. So even though we experience it, it is but a doorway into the next life. And together we long for the day when we'll be gathered into the father's arms. And what will he do? He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes because finally there'll be no more death. No mourning, no crying and no pain. One day, Jesus will return and bring about his completed salvation. But until that day, we cry together, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather together as your children this morning to cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. Deliver us finally from sin. Take away completely the sting of death. But Father, we thank you for ushering in this new kingdom by sending Jesus to be born as a baby boy, to go on to suffer and die on the cross, to deal with our greatest enemies of sin and death. Lord, this salvation you bring, for those of us who have already accepted it, help us as we wait. And for those of us who haven't, Lord, help us to move one step closer to realizing the need that we truly are in. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.